0: that. Yad e-shama panga vikanditendriyam
1: Yad e-shama panga
0: vikanditendriyam Savrita smita vibramad bhruva
1: smita vibramad
0: jai ho padresto bhagavan manobhava prabhadate tan ugrehana shobane Yet, because because,
1: because. <laughs>
0: This, yes. ma, ma. me, apanga. Apanga. apanga, by your glances, by, your glances.
1: by, your glances. by your glances,
0: the candita,
1: agitated,
0: agitated.
1: Indriam.
0: Indriam. indriam whose senses or mind,
1: whose senses
0: or mind, sa with shyness
1: oh, bhava. Bhava. bhava affection, affection. smitha
0: smiling.
1: smiling
0: vibramat bewildering bruva with, with eyebrows twaya Vigab. by you are you right. Upa-shristaha.
1: Upashristaha
0: being influenced, Be influenced. Bhagavan. Bhagavan the most powerful, powerful. Manaha Bhavaha Cupid. Cupid Prabhadite, Prabhadite. Prabhadite. is harassing, harassing. atah but, uh, therefore, therefore Grana be merciful, be merciful. Shobhane, shobhane, oh very beautiful one. Oh, one. Srila translation. Certainly your glancing upon me today has very much agitated my mind. Your smile, which is full of shyness, but at the same time lusty, is agitating the most powerful Cupid within me. Therefore, almost beautiful, I ask you to be merciful upon me. So again, this is King Karanjana speaking uh, to the beautiful woman who is material intelligence. Shilaparappa's purport. Everyone has lusty desires within And as soon as one is agitated by the movement of a beautiful woman's eyebrows, the Cupid within immediately throws his arrows at the heart. Thus one is quickly conquered by the eyebrows of a beautiful woman. When one is agitated by lusty desires, his senses are attracted by all kinds of vishaya, enjoyable things like sound, touch, form, taste and smell. These attractive sense objects oblige one to come under the control of a woman. In this way, the conditional life of a living entity begins. Conditional life means being under the control of a woman, and certainly the living entity is always at the mercy of a woman or a man. Thus living entities live in bondage to one another, and thus they continue this conditional material life illusioned by Maya. Yar Ashamapanga Vikanditendriam, Savridabhava Smithabribra Madhuva, Twayo Paristo Bhagavan Mano Bhava, Pravadhe Tanu Grana, Pravadhate Tanu Grihana Shobhane. Certainly, your glance upon me today has very much agitated my mind. Your smile, which is full of shyness, but at the same time lusty, is agitating the most powerful Cupid within me. Therefore, O most beautiful, I ask you to be merciful upon me. So we have very interesting, we have the word Bhagavan here, but Bhagavan here is being applied to mana bhava, the uh, emotions of the mind, (laughs) Uh, which is another name for Cupid. He's also called the, 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 the one who's taken birth in the mind. And we'll look at that in a moment. So Srila Prabhupada says something here, very interesting in the purport. Everyone has lusty desires within, and as soon as one is agitated, the cupid within immediately throws his arrow at the heart. Let's read that again. Everyone has lusty desires within. As soon as one is agitated, the Cupid within immediately throws his arrow at the heart. So here Prophet says, movement of a beautiful woman's eyebrows, one can be agitated by all kinds of other things as well. Lusty desires within. So I'm sure you've all heard this before. And i talked about it before. I have a cup here. My cup has water in it. And so... Right now, the water is pretty still. But if the water in the cup became agitated, then it would spill, and I would become wet. Let's say my cup had orange juice in it instead of water. Then if the orange juice became agitated enough, it would spill out of the cup, and then I would get orange juice on my clothes. If the cup had... You know, doll in it. And it got agitated enough, it would spill out and get, I'd get doll on my clothes. When I was uh, teaching preschool many years ago, this one little girl w- wasn't paying very close attention when she was eating. She was about two. And she had a cup of doll and she started to pour it, but instead of pouring it into her mouth, she poured it into her lap. <laughs> so, is the problem the movement of the beautiful woman's eyebrows, her shy, lusty glances, etc., you know, the jingling of the ankle bells, or Prabhupada also says, mercy of a woman or a man, you know, for a woman, it may be the man's fancy car, his bank account, his bulging muscles, something. Is that the problem? You know, is the problem that women have eyebrows? Should, should all the women shave off their eyebrows? Should they cover their face? You know, we've been to the Muslim countries where many of the women are covering their face. The problem is what's in the cup. And the problem is what cup are we holding? That's the problem. The problem isn't so much what's agitating what's inside the cup. But the problem is what cup are we holding? What's in the cup that we're holding? yes so Prabhupada says everyone has lusty desires within when someone has a physical body a biological machine that biological machine has with it unless a person is diseased or very unusual that biological machine has built in impetus for reproduction. This is not surprising. The biological machine has a built-in impetus for eating, for drinking water, for urinating, for defecating, for sleeping, for defense, and for reproduction. It's part of the machine. (laughs) It's, you know, just like my computer has a built-in mechanism that turns on the fan if it starts overheating. It's just part of the machine. You know, you have a a heater, an air conditioner, it has a thermostat, it has a built-in component. If it gets too hot, too cold, the mechanism turns on. So our biological machine, Yantra Rudani Maya, this biological machine, has this impetus that if there's an opportunity for reproduction that that desire awakens within the biological machine, like a thermostat or something like that. Uh, therefore we have even a great devotee like Yamunacharya who is saying, whenever I think of sex with a woman, why would the thought come to appear? Because it's part of the biological machine, it's part of the mind. We have mana the the disposition of the mind. This is, it's a name for Cupid, born of the mind. Manasja, the mind-born Cupid. You could also say that a conditioned soul has lusty desires, uh, apart from just a mere biological reproduction, that the sexual desires of a conditioned soul are the perversion of the desire for service. They're, they've taken the original desire that's in the soul for service and uh, it's come out through, Prabhupada explains this very nicely, especially in Maja Eight One 8.138, it's come out in a perverted way. The desire for yoga, the desire for, I mean, if we think of what sex desire is about, it's a desire for connection, it's a desire for love, it's a desire for pleasure, it's a desire for life. Uh, it's It's life producing. So we could say that the lusty desires that are within everyone uh, actually are something else. and we'll get to that in a moment. So one may think, well, if I don't want to experience lusty desires and get overwhelmed by them, then I should just stay away from anything. That will agitate them. Like if I want to have water in a cup and I don't want to spill it, then you know, don't carry an open cup in a crowded area, or, you know, be careful where you're carrying your open cup. so you won't spill it. However, I think that all of us have experienced that absolutely avoiding a situation where we're going to spill whatever is in our cup, it's just not possible. We've all spilled stuff. And no matter how old we get, and no matter how experienced we get, we still sp- still spill stuff. I mean, I was carrying a bowl of doll into my room the other day, and I don't know, just somehow the way I was opening my door and went in, and it spilled. So it's just the nature of reality that things are going to agitate, they're going to move, they're going to agitate, they're going to disturb and whatever is within will be spilled no matter how careful we are and we have you know Rishisringa was the epitome of carefulness actually his father I don't know, remember his name where he tried to remove any possible source of agitation to the point of not even having female animals in the ashram so his son grew up without even the understanding that there were such a thing as females or that there was such a thing as reproduction and then you know that, that didn't it wasn't it wasn't a good strategy on the part of his father actually the fact that the son was so ignorant made him a prime target when the agitation came he couldn't recognize what it was it actually made him more vulnerable but in any case it's not possible just like there was a time in iskan when leaders decided that all of the devotees who were women should be removed from the temple room during Japa. We shouldn't do any deity worship publicly. Uh, we should stand at the back of the temple room in kirtans and so forth. And Prabhupada's response to this is, how are you going to preach? He said, if you can't tolerate seeing a woman sitting and chanting Japa, what will you do? He said, on the streets there are so many women. You're going to have to go to the forest. And even that's not going to solve the problem. shobari Muni was meditating underwater and he saw reproducing fish, he saw copulating fish and he like oh my god I gotta do that. <laughs> you know, it, it agitated his lust. Fish I mean I dunno I, I don't I mean maybe I don't know, maybe there's a commercial market for pornographic fish. But fish Vishramitamuni he became disturbed again underwater by hearing a woman's jewellery. So, trying to simply remove the sources of agitation... I mean, if we're in a civilized society, which I don't think practically any of us on the planet live in a civilized society, we do try in a civilized society, which, again, I don't think any of us live in, to try to minimize external agitations of all kinds, not only for lust, but also for anger and also for greed. We try to make... Right? Trivedam narakashetam. In a civilized society, people know that lust, anger, and greed are the gates to hell. And therefore, they try to arrange social dealings so that the agitations for these things are minimized because they know everyone has lust, anger, and greed within them. So, you know, that's why we have etiquette. In society it's why we say please and thank you it's why we show respect to try to minimize agitation for anger the concept of of marriage you know it used to be in every society there was early marriage the whole concept of early marriage and the concept of men and women dressing modestly and uh, the concept of men and women not having unnecessary times of interaction or physical interaction all, all of these things were to minimize the agitation, knowing that everybody has lust within. But one cannot eliminate it. If a person thinks, the way I'm going to eliminate my lust, anger, and greed, and other things, envy, illusion, whatever, is to eliminate anything that can agitate it, 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 it's it's not going to be any more successful than if we say, from now into the time I die, I'm never going to spill anything. It, It it's not going to work. I mean, unless we die in the next two minutes. We're going to spill something. We're, we're going to have an open container of something, and it's going to be agitated, and we're going to spill it. It just, it just is. So what are we going to do? Because the problem is that when our, our lust gets agitated, we're particularly talking about sexual desire. When sexual desire becomes agitated, however it becomes by some lady's eyebrows, or by copulating fish, or whatever, agitates whoever. Somebody gets agitated by shoes, you know, whatever. Agitate somebody. It's a problem. <laughs> you know, it's really a problem. Uh, the consequences of sexual desire being uh, inappropriately awakened, awakened out of. Uh, reproduction and marriage are, are very substantial both for the individual and for the society even materially and they're certainly very substantial for the individual and for society spiritually. And everybody knows this. This is not some kind of a secret. Everyone knows that the results of inappropriate sexual desires being awakened cause unlimited trouble for people individually and collectively both from a material and spiritual point of view all police departments know this all political campaigns know this all businesses know this every family knows this everybody knows this it's a problem it's a useful thing biologically to have nice children running around and happy families but otherwise it, it's a problem you know it's kind of like uh, <laughs> the the devotee in one temple I was in who spilled the chili pepper into the subji yeah this subject became inedible. So what are we going to do if we can't eliminate all external agitations, if that's, if that's an impossible effort? We see a lot of people trying. There's a lot of people in a lot of societies that put a lot of effort into trying to stop being all external agitation. You know, I think about the, some of the ultra-Orthodox Jews they don't go on the internet. They don't read outside papers. They don't read outside books. Even husband and wife, if when they're going to produce children, they, they don't see each other without clothes. Uh, you know, they have all whole kinds of things to try to to minimize any possibility of outside agitation. Yes. But because we're not going to be able to do that, and the funny thing is, even if there's no outside agitation, because. Cupid is Bhagavan Manabhava, the most powerful emotion of the mind. You know, the mind will find reasons to be to agitate this even if there's nothing external. Isn't that weird? It's just like the mind will find ways of agitating our anger even if there's nothing going on. Have you found that? We're peaceful, sitting outside under a tree, on a sunny day, with a cool wind blowing. We're trying to read Bhagavatam or chant Hare Krishna. And the mind comes up with a reason to be angry, or to be greedy, or to be envious, or to be lusty. You know, weird. It's like I'm just sitting here minding my own business. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing going on, and the mind goes. Do you remember what happened five years ago? <laughs> or you know? Do you know you what know might happen tomorrow? Be angry about it, and we go. Yes, sir. <laughs> we, we, uh, our cup full of anger becomes spilled. So this, this, we can do it to ourselves. Yes. How we can do it to ourselves. I mean, they say the reason we should forgive people is that otherwise we're reliving the offense over and over again. So what are we going to do? Well, the main thing we're going to do is we're going to change our identity because the body and mind have all these open cups. They just do. I mean, you could think of it like if, if you've been to a restaurant and the wait person, the waiter, the waitress, you know, they, they carry a tray. You've seen that? They carry a tray, and on the tray, there's a, a lot of plates that have food on it, and there's a lot of cups full of liquid. So they're carrying this, this tray. So our body and mind are always carrying around this tray of all these things. There's the the lust cup over there and the anger cup over there and the greed cup and the envy and the illusion. And and the body and mind is just carrying this around all the time. So, you know, saying, well, we're we're going to avoid having any customer knock knock into us. Instead, we can say, I'm going to stop identifying with the body and the mind. not going to identify with this machine that's carrying around this stuff it's just part of the machine and from a biological point of view there's not anything wrong with desire for reproduction that's the will of God the way the Lord arranges for souls to get bodies we don't have any objection to biological processes. We don't even have any objection to biological processes of anger which are meant to you know, protect you from roaring tigers. But it's not us. It's not us. It's a biological machine with biological functions. And it doesn't have anything to do with us. So we switch from... I'm carrying this cup someone agitated it and now what can I do I'm covered with orange juice I'm covered with doll. whatever and now I have to act on it I have to act in anger I have to act in lust I have to act in envy I have to feel it as if it's mine you know we'll say things like I am angry I am lusty I am sad Bizarre, isn't it? I am. Like it's my identity. <laughs> you know, I am angry. So it's like, I, I am not these things. These are biochemical processes in the body as part of the Lord's magnificent energy. It's His energy. It's meant for his purposes in the world to facilitate the fallen jivas and his purposes in the world, but it's not me. And then what we see, you know, once I'm in an airplane, in the days when I was on airplanes, before COVID, I remember one of the flight attendants came by. Thankfully, it was just water in the cup. As she came by my seat, she spilled the water down my back and it pooled on the seat under me so my clothes were, were soaked and planes as if any of you know they're very dry, they're drier than a desert I think it's like 10% humidity on a plane so I basically this was pre all the security regulations when you know now you're not even allowed to stand up in a plane very long but anyway I just said I need to stand up until the seats dry and my clothes are dry and so I, I did I got out of my seat, I stood up, and maybe took an hour with the low humidity and all my clothes dried and the seat dried, and then I could sit back down. So, this is the technique. Prabhupada talks about systematic techniques of spiritual life. This is a technique. And I, I talk about this quite a bit. One, who, should, one does not, who does not hate illumination, attachment, or delusion when they appear, no long for them when they disappear. Who knows that the modes alone are active, who remains neutral. There's so many times in Bhagavad Gita 12, 13 through 20 when Krishna talks about being equal poised in happiness and distress, honor and dishonor, fame and infamy and so forth. In chapter 2, Krishna talks about being like the ocean, that the rivers come into the ocean, but the ocean is not affected. And when Krishna talks about how we become bewildered by lust and greed, particularly. Contemplating the objects of the senses, we develop attachment, from attachment lust arises, from lust anger, from anger bewilderment, bewilderment memory is lost, we fall down. Then what is the cure? In 264 he says the cure is be free from attachment and aversion, regulate your senses, and you'll get my mercy. So free from attachment and aversion. Regulating the senses means that as far as we can in this world, we remove the outside sources of agitation. As far as we can. We can't do it completely. And in 2021, to remove all outside sources of sexual agitation is completely impossible. Not if we're preachers. I mean, if you don't want to be preachers, if you want to be a Bajanandhi and go to the top of the Himalayas, but if you want to be a preacher and go out in the world, there's going to be so many sources of sexual agitation. It just just is what it is what it is. So regulating the senses is one tries to limit that as far as possible. And the other is to become free from attachment and aversion. That we neither get into the lust, oh, now I'm overcome by lust, (laughs) or nor do we hate it. If something agitates our cup of water and water spills on us, then we just wait until it dries. We just observe it. I didn't have to become angry at the flight attendant who spilled water on my seat. I didn't have to get into it, oh yeah, I wanted a bath. Wow, this is great. <laughs> or, oh, terrible, how could you dare spill water on me? Now I have to stand up for an hour. It just was. Just let it pass. And everything dried out, and then I could sit down again. And if we take the position of observer, then these urges pass very quickly, actually. If we neither try to express them and enjoy them, oh, look at that beautiful woman's eyebrows, oh my God, look at those eyebrows! And nor do we hate them, that terrible woman with her eyebrows... We just, oh, okay. woman's eyebrows just knocked into the lust cup of this machine. That's interesting. Look at that. Some water spilled out of the cup. Huh? Some feelings are in the body. And some feelings are in the machine. And then they go. Now, if we were jnana yogis, or impersonalists, we would stop there. But as bhakti yogis, we go on and we say, I have another identity beyond this machine and I also have cups full of something. I, the soul, have cups full of something. I mean, it's interesting when we first read this verse, you know, it sounds like we could be reading something in one of the Leela Shastras between the Lord and the Gopis. It could be because that's the origin of all of this, after all. You know, when we read Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Udwala Milamani, we read Chaitanya Charitamrita, we find that all of the emotions and urges that are in this world have their original counterpart in the soul. So, the soul also has these open cups. Soul has open cups of love and service in all different moods. There's, you know, Madhya Soda gets angry with Krishna. The residents of Vrindavan become afraid when Krishna is in the coils of Kaliya. We could say Krishna's gopis, Krishna's queens, uh, feel lust when they see Krishna. We were just studying this in Nectar Devotion, how Rupa Goswami talks about writes about the love of the gopis and the queens for Krishna as if they were lust they're the original form of that and so each of us has as a soul we have you know here's my my cup full of of prema and all the different vyavachari bhavs here we have the manabhav instead of the bhagavad manabhav we have all the bhavs, right? We have the stai bhav, we have the anubhav, we have the sattvika bhavs, we have the javichari bhavs or sanchari bhavs. And then there's the agitating force, the vibhavs. You know, it's it's explained that the devotee's mind is as calm as a calm lake. This morning I went out with my adult granddaughter to watch her baby while she was swimming in a lake. Beautiful. Early in the morning and I was thinking about the analogies of the devotee's mind is like a calm lake. The devotee's mind actually doesn't become agitated by the agitating things of this world because the devotee says that's just a reaction in the body. Even if there is some reaction in the body they just observe it until it passes. Even if physical feelings of anger and lust and greed arise in the body, envy, fear, they observe it till it passes. So in that sense, the devotee's mind is like a calm lake. But savayamana krishna padaravindaya, if one's mind is absorbed in Krishna, one's mind is full of waves of emotion bhakti-rasadmita-sindhu, all the waves, Rupa Goswami talks about them as waves of emotion. And devotees who are identifying with themselves as the soul, so many things stimulate that love, anything. Makunda sees a, someone fanning the king with a peacock feather, and that agitates his prema. The devotee sees the sun. Oh, that's Krishna's eye. Agitates his prema. Find the devotees in Vrindavan. Anything they see or hear or smell, it makes their prema spill out of their cup. They're constantly being bathed in, in their love. And that is the cure. The cure is to identify with who I am. And as the soul, what what am I carrying? Now, what is the machine carrying? What what am I carrying? Wow. What's there in the soul? Rupa Goswami says that prema is already there in the soul. It's awakened by some practice, but it's already there. When Krishna talks about we look within, what do we find? He says, you relish and rejoice. Wow. Wow. Who am I? What am I carrying? What do I have? What, a, what am I full of to the brim? As King David said, my cup runneth over. We were just reading how Rupa Goswami says that the devotee may exhibit externally some bodily signs, the sattvic above. Just like in material life, a person has some physical symptoms of lust, of physical symptoms of anger, physical symptoms of envy, physical symptoms of fear affects the physical body. You, you can look at the physical body of somebody and you can understand something of the emotions that they're experiencing. And Rupa Goswami also talks about the sattva kabobs. Now there's, you know, her the hair standing on end and, and shivering and crying. And then he says, then the devotee who tries not to exhibit such symptoms, just like the materialists try not to reveal that they're feeling lust and anger and so forth. But the devotee, they go inside... And then they're continually experiencing my cup runneth over, my cup runneth over, my cup runneth over, because materially, when our cup gets agitated and we get covered with something, it's unpleasant to spill your doll on your floor, get orange juice spilled on you, even get water spilled all over you. It's unpleasant, unless it's really hot out, I suppose. It's unpleasant. But spiritually, to be drowning in these waves of rasa, rasa means liquid, to be drowning in these waves of liquid love and liquid emotion for Krishna is very pleasurable. Like we, you know, we do these avi shakes for the deities where we're pouring over the deities milk and yogurt and honey. I mean, I sometimes think like, would I really want honey poured all over me? <laughs> it be kind of sticky in my hair fruit juice we pour over the deity you know in the higher planets there are these huge trees they have huge fruits without skins or seeds and when the fruits drop they form rivers of juice and the the rivers of juice by the bank in combination with the sun turn into gold that the demigods wear as ornament and the demigods swim in these rivers and by swimming in these rivers and drinking the juice of these rivers their bodies become fragrant for 80 miles around so that's just in the higher planets. Imagine in, in the spiritual world, in Vaikuntha Goloka Vrindavan, you know, to be bathing in, these, in, in all of these bhavas that are really Bhagavan. I'm mean, here we're saying Bhagavan, mana the all powerful emotions of the mind. But Bhagavan also means full of bhaga, full of fortune. Full of auspiciousness. So we have a tendency to blame the agitator, to blame the lady's eyebrows or the muscular man or whatever. The fish. Oh <laughs> have a tendency to blame the agitator, but the question is what am I holding? Who am I and what am I holding? If I identify as a soul and what I'm holding is prema, then any agitation is going to spill prema. We saw this with Srila Prabhupada. We saw that whatever was going on would bring out his bhakti. Yeah? So that's what we want to do, whatever's going on maybe there's some beautiful women's eyebrows and then they remind us how Lord Kapila there says to meditate on the Lord's eyebrows we remember how Krishna's meditating on Radha Rana's eyebrows we can remember how Radha and Krishna are shyly looking at each other so that, that's what we really want to change what we really want to change Right. We should try to have a conducive situation. Certainly. And we should try to have a civilized society as much as we can do it in 2021. And the real thing is, who am I? What identity do I want to identify with? Do I want to identify with this, with the biological machine, with all of its built-in programming of biological urges? Or do I want to identify as a spiritual being? with all of my urges of love and all of my urges of service. And then, what am I carrying? Questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions? Hi, Krishna. Um, you already touched on this, like, at the end of class, but I was thinking instead of just observing these uh, desires, lust, uh, whatever is flowing in into our mature body and mind, to replace that with, and instead of just observing it, I, mean, I get your point, but um, actually absorbing, replacing that, that's the word yes, yes, both have to be done in other words, we take the view towards what's flowing into the body and mind of a detached observer and we replace it with something else yes yes, but my point is we're not going to be able to stop these things flowing into the body and mind that will not happen. If someone thinks that that's what's going to happen, that they're going to get to a point in spirituality where that doesn't happen, then, I don't know, it's like a different scripture or something. It, it, just, doesn't, it just doesn't happen. That's it's not what Krishna says. He doesn't say you'll get to a point in the material body and mind where these things will stop flowing into the body and the mind. He says, be free from your desire to... You know, I'm reading the the story of the churning of the ocean of milk. And there were things that came out of the ocean of milk and the demigods let the demons take them. Like when Bali took um, Uchashrava. Indra didn't touch Uchashrava because he he was told... Remember, he was told by Krishna not to touch Uchashrava. So we may notice... I mean, as we progress in bhakti, we hardly notice it these things going through the body and mind. They become less and less even noticeable to us. Like someone who lives by a loud highway, it stops being very noticeable. Thank you. Is that that all right? Yes. The main main thing that we want to be careful of when we say replace them, don't try to kill what's going on in the body and the mind. So often when people hear replace, they think of it as something violent. Whereas, in other words, you let the body and mind be, and you focus on something else. You, you let it be. You may notice that it's there, or maybe, maybe you're at the point you don't even notice that it's there, but you let it be. I mean, you could think about, let's say you're in a crowded area and a lot of people are having a conversation, and you're also having a conversation so your brain has the capacity of blocking out other people's conversations and just focusing on the conversation that you're having. We, we all have that capacity. So it's just there are these other conversations going on around me, but they don't have anything to do with me. I, I know they're there, but they don't have anything to do with me. So I'm not trying to kill all the other people who are talking. You know, I focus I focus on my conversation. So when we say replace, that's really what it means. It it doesn't mean to kill or try to because we can't. That it's not gonna work. But it's just we put our attention elsewhere. We put our attention to our real identity and we put our attention to our real feelings. Is that is that okay? Yes. Thank you very much. Very clear.
1: Thank you very much for your class. Um, are there any scriptural references regarding the so-called physical body of a Nitya Siddha devotee who's actually, you know, in the material world on a mission? Their body must be different, or are there any scriptural references?
0: I, I don't know. I've, I've wondered this. I mean, we do say that they have a physical body, um, the references I know are of sadhana siddhas like Yimunacharya who says whenever I think of sex life with a woman I be, I, I'm disgusted by it but um, it doesn't mean he's trying to kill it by it it, it just that he has no interest in it. it it's of no interest to him um, and we can or we have the example of Jad who was disturbed by angry thoughts at King Rahugana and he just again he ignored it he neglected the mind and mm-hmm we have Prabhupada's very clear statement in his purport to 14.22-25 in the Bhagavad Gita that as long as we have a material body in mind, it will be affected by the modes of nature. And we can say that even for a sadhana-siddha devotee, it's explained that their body becomes spiritualized, their body becomes transformed and is acting spiritually. Uh, That's because the devotee isn't identifying with those aspects of the material body. Just like Krishna says, you know, while one is eating, sleeping, working, evacuating, the soul realizes he's not doing anything at all. It's just the body interacting with the modes of nature. So is that true also for a Nitya Siddha who receives a physical body in this world? I I don't know. It would be hard to think that it wasn't true, but I don't know. I mean, another example we have, uh, again, of a a Sadhana Siddha is Dhruva, where he actually had some difficulty with anger with the Yakshas. You know, that he, he wasn't re- immediately able to take that position. And Swayam Bhuvumanu had to assist him in going to that place of detachment, and going to that place of service. I know that's a very interesting question, and, and if you could find out some more information and share it, that would be helpful.
1: There, there's a quote in the, um, the Narda Pancharacha, where Lord Shiva speaking to his wife, Parvati, and he says, My dear Supreme Goddess, you should know from me that any person who has developed the ecstasy of love for the Supreme Personality of Godhead and is therefore always merged in transcendental bliss on account of this love cannot even perceive the material distress or happiness coming from the body or mind.
0: Yeah, well, that's very much, again, we have... But that doesn't mean that there isn't any distress. They just don't perceive it. Correct. Right. So, uh, again, like right now, I would assume most of us are sitting down. Those of us who are sitting down, all of a sudden notice the feel of whatever you're sitting on against your body. Probably didn't notice it until I said something. So our our brains have the capacity of cutting out unnecessary sensory input. And people who can't do that, I mean, one of the descriptions of people who have autism, for example, is that they can't do that or they don't do it very well. So the brain is giving them, they are they are consciously aware of a lot of sensory input, whereas for people who are neurotypical, our brain filters through sensory input and says, you know, this is, this is important, this is not important, this is important, this is not important. We have selection, selective attention. So someone who's absorbed in transcendence, they're, they're basically not aware of what's going on in their body because they don't identify with it. Now the sadhana for that is that one takes a step back as an observer. It's not that one is absorbed in the body and then poof, you wake up one day and you're not aware of it anymore but it's part of sadhana in every system of yoga, including bhakti, to step back and take the position of observer and turn your attention then elsewhere to the soul. Turn your attention to the real self. From wherever the mind wanders due to its flickering and unsteady nature, one should withdraw it and put it on the self. So this is the discipline, this is the sadhana. And gradually as one engages in that sadhana one pays less and, less and less and less and less and less and less and less attention to what's going on in the body. It becomes less and less relevant. It becomes less and less important. Prabhupada gives the analogy of a, a businessman sitting in the back of a car. There's a driver. And he says the businessman knows how much you know, gas is in the car. He knows where the car is going. But he's he's absorbed in his own business. He's not absorbed in driving the car. So the liberated person's May have some awareness of what the body is doing. They may have no awareness. I mean, there's a quote in the Bhagavatam that they may have no awareness, like an intoxicated person doesn't know where he is. So the liberated soul may have basically even no awareness. Everything's carried on by the grace of the Lord. All their bodily activities are carried on by the grace of the Lord, and they're just aware of a different reality. Or they may have very minor awareness. Awareness. Uh, but they're certainly not at all affected by the pleasures and pains in the body. They don't even interpret them as pleasures and pains. I, I mean, even for materialists, pleasure and pain is an opinion of the mind. And, you know, we know that for many things. First of all, what I may think is pleasure, you may think is painful. And what I may think is painful, you may think is pleasurable. Like, I don't like hot chilies. I just consider them painful. Other people consider them pleasurable. You know, I don't like swimming in very cold water. Other people find it very pleasurable. So, you know, pain and pleasure is an opinion of the mind about various sensations. And the mind has this opinion based on the fact that we want to enjoy the world and we want to enjoy this body in a particular combination of modes, and therefore we identify certain things as pleasurable or painful. But if I don't want to enjoy the world, then there's no need of identifying anything as pleasurable or painful at all. You know, I could say what's useful for service, but I I don't have any idea of pleasure and pain in the world. It doesn't, It there's no meaning at at all to me. I mean, I don't know. It'd be like if you you go into a store where they're selling things. You've gone with your friend to a store where they want to buy something, but it's not anything that you use. And so you don't look at the things in the store as pleasurable or painful. They just have nothing to do with you. And yeah, gradually it just fades out of awareness. Completely or almost completely.
1: So again, we hear that, um, this is very brief. Uh, again and again, we hear that um, one test for spiritual advancement is that one becomes free from material desires. But it sounds like you're saying that one becomes free from being affected by those material desires.
0: Well, yes, but it. you could also say we also have the funny word material. So a material desire means a desire to enjoy separately from the Lord. So the soul does, no longer has any desires to enjoy separately from the Lord. That really has nothing to do with, with bodily urges for eating and sleeping and reproducing and defending. Those are not in and of themselves either connected with the Lord or separate from the Lord. They can be connected with the Lord and they can be separate from the Lord. They're not they're not in and of themselves either material or spiritual desires. They're in and of themselves just biological functions. So but one if one has no desire to enjoy separately from the Lord, one is free from material desires. And one is not identifying with the vegam Manasakrota Vegam Jiwa Vegam vegam One's no longer identifying with those urges as their own. We're just It's not that the urges are not there, but one no longer identifies with them, and therefore one no longer either indulges them or kills them. One just simply, you know, they're just simply there. One may notice them, or one may not even notice them, and they just come and go.
1: I I have a question. I I think you've covered, uh, you know, that was nice, that last part. I, I think that covers it, meaning... You you know, you can't stop the mind or the flow of desires or the the connecting with sense objects, but you can't linger. So I I have a question at the end of a comment. So the thing that stood out in this purport to me was um, when one is agitated by lusty desires, his senses are attracted by all kinds of vishaya Mm. or enjoyable things like sound touch form case. So it made me think of the song. It's a Broadway musical song that uh, Paul McCartney popularized. There were bells on the hill but I never heard them ring.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh, no, I uh-huh.
1: never heard them at
0: until all till until there was were you. There. Yeah,
1: yeah. there was birds in the sky, but I never saw them winging. You know, I never saw them at all until there was you. So Sex attraction brings, out all, it brings the senses to life, and then one becomes externally absorbed and forgets the soul. So, John, I have this book, uh, Unveiling the Lotus Feet, and, and it's, this is not very long, but I, I think he, he sums up this beautifully. John, the hero, was attracted by the eyebrows and smiling face of the beautiful girl and was pierced by the arrows of her lust. She was beautiful when she smiled so shyly and the king was struck with desire. If one stares at a bright light, he will lose the ability to see. Similarly, if a soul stares at possible sense pleasure, it loses its ability to see itself. Mm. Soon, the soul is surrounded by the blazing fire of illusion and is blinded. The soul thus loses its capacity to see its own eternal nature and the body's inevitable march toward death. Srila offers a relevant quote in his purport to text 25, and I'm going to skip the Sanskrit. It is said in the Prema Vivarta that when a living entity wants to enjoy material nature, he is immediately victimized by the Material energy, and so here comes my question. So we all know, contemplating the objects of the senses, one develops attachment. That's it's all downhill from there. Yes. So so we want to nip it in the bud, right? That's the idea. We, we we don't want to linger. We don't want you know. We just want to move on. Or like you you just said, if the there there's a river of thoughts coming through the mind, and some of them are inappropriate and we just let them go, it just, we don't hold on to them, so, but but here's what I'm trying to figure out, how, in this analogy, Puranjian's the living entity, and, uh, the beautiful woman, it is, represents, you said, material intelligence, Yes. and that's in the, in the verses somewhere, you know, also, yeah. uh, uh, in the future, so... And I never could reconcile this very well. I've heard that the, the intelligence is in the mode of passion, and the mind is in the mode of goodness. It's, it seems like it's it's upside down cake. It seems like this. Yeah, everybody cake. says that
0: you're like person number ten thousand five hundred and three, who's who's brought this up. <laughs> that it seems like it should be reversed. Uh, if that's your main question, I'm not going to be able to give you a satisfying answer, but I can answer as well as I can. It seems that the default value of the mind is not to be chanchala. It seems that the default value of the mind is to be still. Anybody who engages in any sort of meditation, one of the things that happens is the mind becomes still. And as soon as the mind becomes still, then one gets some spiritual realization practically immediately. It's quite interesting. It's like the mind goes back to its default value of stillness and just goodness and equanimity. But its passion, which of course is Brahma, the creator, that's the intelligence of doing this and that in the world. And the, the plans, and the mind is just an accepting and rejecting machine, really. It just It's the intelligence that's making all the plans in it. And the mind is meant to be actually in, in a spiritual awakened state. The mind becomes still. The mind goes back to its, its, it's such that, a, to its such it's state.
1: When the mind is controlled, the super soul is already reached.
0: Yes, That's because the, he has attained yeah. tranquility. Yes, as soon as the mind becomes <laughs> tranquil, then one can understand, understand spiritual life. That's the whole goal of, you know, so many different kinds of yoga, to make the mind tranquil, basically, to quiet the mind, to bring it back to its original factory settings of being in Satvagun. I have another class in 20 minutes, and I, I need a break between this class and that class, so I need to... Can I just read one verse? Oh, well... One verse, I would I, put it together. Okay, but I, I do need just, to take a break between this and that.
1: It's only a little verse. It's uh, 325.18. Oh, okay. A building. A building. In that position of self-realization by practice of knowledge and renunciation in devotional service, one sees everything in the right perspective. He becomes indifferent to material existence and material influence acts less powerfully upon him.
0: Yes. So I thought that That's a very nice summary. One just becomes indifferent. And then, the, yeah, the action upon the, a person, the ability for the, for the material nature to affect the person decreases and decreases the more one becomes indifferent to it. Thanks. Yes, that is a very good. I love Canto 3, Chapter 24. Okay, I have to go. Sorry, Hare Krishna. Goodbye.